Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. Thank you for being here. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. Today's episode is a fun one. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't. We talk about a subject that is pretty relevant, I think, to most fitness and wellness-oriented people. I'm imagining that you guys fall into that category. And the topic is really about tracking, interpreting, and using fitness data, fitness apps, fitness trackers, all of that stuff. But really, it actually ends up being much more of a conversation about mindset and mental health and learning to trust yourself over external sources of data, no matter how accurate that external data may be, which it turns out often isn't that accurate anyway. We'll get into that. But today I'm speaking with Jay Nira and Paul Oneid. They are the founders of MetroLife, which is essentially a new take on an old way of wellness tracking. So remember back in the day when we used to just think about how we feel and base our food and our workouts and our plan for the day just around how we feel. We tend to do that a little bit less these days because we have all this technology to kind of tell us how we feel for us, right? But this is what MetroLife is. And this is an, an app, by the way. You can go to their website, but you can also just go straight to your app store and download this. It's essentially a comprehensive multifaceted, really comprehensive wellness tracker that relies entirely on your input. So you have to do the work, you have to record and essentially journal every day about how you're feeling, about your sleep, your energy, your overall happiness, your libido, your workouts, all of that stuff. Every aspect of health, you need to put in the work and the time and the thought about how you actually feel. And the app essentially reflects back to you in a clear way what you're already telling yourself and allowing you to sort of understand the responses that your body has to the different things that you're doing, or maybe less good sleep or a harder workout or whatever you're doing, it can kind of reflect back to you how you feel so that you can make better choices, right? And this way, you aren't placing too much stock in what an HRV or a sleep tracker is telling you. These things can have pretty wide margins for error. And I'm not saying that none of those are useful or helpful. I'm just saying instead, you want to focus on developing a habit of being introspective and mindful and writing stuff down so that you can actually see how you feel on a given day based on what you've been doing and take that data into the future and adjust your behaviors. So like I said, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty genius because most trackers are not doing it this way. And it's just a really great way to develop accountability without relying on external forces to guide your progress. And I think that's so important because one of the things that I preach a lot when I'm either dealing with clients or just kind of speaking to people in general who are looking to improve their life and really feel like they cannot do it without outside help. And look, outside help is important. It is great to have external accountability and resources and friends and coaches, but it's really important for us to try to trust ourselves a little bit more and empower ourselves that we know our bodies better than anybody else. And we have the knowledge and we have the ability to kind of make these adjustments and behavior changes to make ourselves feel better. So Jay also created a hard copy of this. So he has a STEMS system journal called Sisyphus is Smiling. And that is like an actual physical journal that you can use and buy. We talk about the origin of that. It's pretty cool. He gave me a copy I've been going through. Both of these guys just have a ton of experience in strength and fitness for themselves, for others, coaching. And I have to say it was really fun and kind of refreshing to have such a candid conversation about feelings and emotions and introspection with two dudes that Honestly, I don't really know that well. We are mostly Instagram friends before this conversation, but it's just cool to reflect on the journey and the evolution that so many of us take from being young and just recognizing that maybe we want to be strong and look good and pursue these fitness goals to obsessing over these sort of dogmatic rules that we learn from someone else. And then finally, kind of the evolution of realizing that all health goals stem from our mindset, 
our behaviors and our ability to understand and be honest with ourselves. So it's pretty deep. I also want to note before we get into it that these podcasts are all video recorded and posted on my YouTube channel. So if you search Muscle Maven Radio on YouTube, you can go and subscribe there. And you might want to check this one out on video because there is a very cute puppy appearance near the end of the interview. So you don't want to miss that and you're welcome. And that's it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Definitely check out Metro Life. Download the app. I'll put all the information in the show notes for you so you can do that. It might just inspire you to kickstart your fitness goals or sort of restart something if you're feeling a little stagnant these days. So that's that. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy my episode with Paul and Jay. All right, Paul, Jay. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. It is ironic that for once I'm actually speaking to people who are in the same city as me because usually, I mean, how often am I interviewing awesome people in Ottawa, to be honest with you, but we still can't be in the same place. So that kind of sucks, but I suppose this is the next best thing. So thanks for joining in wherever you guys are coming from. It's our pleasure. Paul, are we going to get a uh, beefcake pork chop sighting today or no? So I'm not going to wake him up. But he's sleeping. Towards the end of the podcast, I will introduce everybody. Okay. Okay. Because you know the real reason why we're doing this video today, right? Is obviously for for those guys. Okay, cool. All right. Well, before we kind of dive into it, I think it might be best if you guys just take a minute to introduce yourselves. Because for those of us who are going to be listening to the podcast and not watching it, just to get a sense of your voices. So if you could just kind of introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit about who you are, and then we'll dive in from there. Canadian stand-up. I'm Paul. I know. Who's going to be more polite? Yeah. Um, So I am Paul Oneid. I am a co-founder of One Life Inc. with Jay. I live here in Ottawa, Ontario. I work as a functional rehabilitation specialist during the day. I'm also a powerlifting strength coach and nutrition coach online. Hi, uh, I'm Jay. I'm uh, also a co-founder at One Life Inc. I own a CrossFit and powerlifting gym here in Ottawa. I used to powerlift. I no longer powerlift. I used to also bobsleigh. I always find that fun to say because it's very random. I wrote a journaling book, which we put out recently, and Paul and I are just trying to kick some ass. Hey, there we go. Good product placement. Also, I got to say, now that I have this and I was going through it the other day, now it's like I have to be mindful and like focused and have intention. So thanks, Jay, for that, because now I actually have to do this. So appreciate it. But we'll see. Maybe it'll help. Anyway. Okay. So I have lots of questions for both of you and your kind of personal stories, and I don't want to keep you all day. So maybe we'll just kind of go back and forth. But I guess, how did you guys connect and decide you wanted to start working together? So I was working as a strength coach in Tampa, Florida, or sorry, in Pittsburgh. I was like a GA, a graduate assistant. So as soon as I finished my degree, I got kicked out of the country. I was still competing in powerlifting and I wanted to continue training. So a mutual friend of ours named Shane Church, who used to be a very highly ranked multiply powerlifter, said, hey, I want you to come train with me. We're going to train at noon on Saturday at Dynamo Barbell. And I was like, oh my God, like Dynamo Barbell, doesn't Jay train there? And I was, he's like, yeah, yeah, he's going to train with us. I was like, okay, cool. So I show up and within like five minutes of being there, a friend of ours, Cade, is squatting like 675 for sets of three. And Jay is listening to his headphones, eating the cord, swearing at himself and puking out the door. Mm. Um, <laughs> As one does, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, these are my people. I need to be here. <laughs> and the rest is history. Uh, and then, you know, just like, and the rest is history. 
least on my part. But yeah, Jay's story is a little bit more analytical of how we started working together. The throwing up thing, go on. Okay, so <laughs> whenever I lift heavy, basically anytime I get above 545 and I put that belt on, I get like a little bit of a reflex and then I kind of gag. I don't throw up. I just gag over a garbage can. And then I'm fine for the rest of the workout, right? And that's it. Happens all the time. Freaks people out at powerlifting meets. I don't know why Paul brought this up. You just got to get it out of the way. You got to get a couple gags out of the way and yeah. then you can get to And then I feel great. And then everything's awesome. Everything's normal. Yeah, well, Paul was training at the, uh, he was training at Dynamo for a while. He had been working, he went to Queens. So this is after a couple of years from the story Paul just said. He was strength conditioning coach at Queens and he had come back because he found it not very rewarding for the amount of work he was putting in. I had this idea that I've been sitting on for years, pretty much since I've been bobsledding back in 2005, and I really wanted to move on it. I just saw, you know, things are starting to move in this direction. This is where we got to go. And I thought that given my strengths and weaknesses and Paul's strengths and weaknesses, we would make a good team because there's certain things that I am very good at and certain things that I am just horrendous at. And Paul kind of fills those gaps. So primarily for me, it's like I suck at administrative work mm -hmm. and all is good at being like you listen to any of his podcasts he's a very organized and disciplined person with that stuff uh, so i was like this is going to work on that end and then obviously paul has very good education in the field so i knew it would be a good fit and then from there we just kind of decided to go with it and it's been years now that we've been kept growing with the same idea and expanding on it okay I'm going to ask you guys more about the business first, but Paul, what exactly is a functional rehabilitation specialist? So I work for an insurance company here, actually a multinational insurance company, and essentially I coordinate treatment plans for individuals trying to get back to work off of disability. So I act kind of as a subject matter expert. I review treatment plans, make recommendations to providers. And then I work with employers to make sure that any accommodations required are adhered to. So it's quite rewarding because you're, you know, getting people back to work, getting a big part of their identity back. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a far cry from strength and conditioning where, you know, I cut my teeth. I went from dealing with 18-year-old kids who don't want to run hard to 55-year-old grandmothers who don't want to leave their home because they're agoraphobic. So <laughs> yeah, that... That's intense. I mean, I suppose it's also the difference too between dealing with high level athletes and you're going for performance goals versus like, let's get this person relatively pain free. Yeah, exactly. Functional. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that fed in a lot to the business too, because there's a skill set that you need to be a strength and conditioning coach at a high level. And a lot of that does carry over to that population and vice versa. So I'm finding myself, the tools that I've learned in my job have carried over to my coaching endeavors and have fed in greatly to, to MetriLife, our product, because the mental health is such a big component of performance at any high level. So the better you understand one, the better it feeds into the other. And you can bring in elements from training towards a mental health intervention as well. Everything works together in synergy. So, Jay, which came first, the company MetroLife that you guys founded or your journal? The journal kind of came out of an idea for the app. We were looking for features to add to the app. We wanted to get journaling into the app a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had this idea with STEMS journaling. I got it from a guy named Nathaniel Brandon, who I think he passed away in 2013. But he had used a lot of sentence STEMS. And I wanted to test it out with the app. So I did a little project on the side through Instagram. I had 43 people that I was emailing these STEMS to daily 
practicing different variants, as you've seen in the book, different ways of getting people to use the stems. And I got a lot of very positive feedback from it. And some of the feedback was, you know, this is great, but I don't like him putting it on my phone all the time. Because yeah. one of the things I said was to do it on your phone, to finish your sentence completions on the phone. So a lot of the feedback was, put this in a book and I'll buy it. So from there, I was like, all right, I'll make a book for it. I do want to talk about the journaling and tracking aspect of health and fitness a lot, actually, because it's something I want to, I want to dive into deeply as somebody who obviously has done it and played with it here and there and maybe has some trouble adhering to it long term, but we can get into that. Is journaling, and I don't mean tracking macros or tracking your reps, I mean journaling more from an introspective mental health point of view, is that something that both of you have done yourself and been into for a while, or is this something you kind of came into more recently and talk a little bit about that process because there's a difference between liking to journal and creating entire companies around it. So obviously there's maybe something happened in your journey that showed you the importance of it. I think for me, it started journaling training. Like you talk, you know, you, you do your training log and then how you felt in the training. And then I went through a bit of a, call it a personal transition about a year and a half ago. And I started journaling as a means to cope with it, to learn a little bit more about myself, my drivers, my motivations and how I'm feeling. It started off as just asking a few questions like, how was yesterday? What are you going to do today? What are you stressed about? How are you going to address those stressors? And what are you grateful for? So that's what I started journaling about. And that kind of fed into some elements that we did in the app. And in doing that in conjunction with using MetriLife, I feel like my growth through that process was exponential. And it wasn't until that point, that happened about three months before we launched the app. So I was demoing the app while going through this thing for me. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really, it hit me really hard that this is something that more people need to be doing. And journaling is something that I do every day, both in the app and freehand as well. For your benefit, how much of it do you feel is the act of sitting down and taking that time for yourself every day versus going back through it maybe and like looking at what you've written over a period of time and checking in on the past and the future of it? Like how much of it do you think the benefit is the doing it every day versus kind of taking a look at the bigger picture? So I very rarely will look back. For me, it's about taking the time for myself and really just taking a bit of a, an inventory. The only time I actually have ever gone and looked back at it, so I've been doing this for about 18 months. And the first time I did it was on March 25th when I got back to Ottawa from Calgary after getting divorced. It's the only time I ever looked back. Okay. So Jay, in developing this, Sisyphus, tell us a little bit about why that is part of the story of the journal that you put together. That's a very long drawn out thing. Sisyphus and smiling is kind of like a system of thought because so many people talk about living consciously. Living consciously now is becoming like a fad phrase. Mindfulness is becoming a fad phrase. And I honestly haven't heard one person talk about it on a non-superficial level. It involves a lot more things than just, oh, living consciously is not operating on a subconscious level. You have to be aware of all the different things that encompass behavior. For example, behaviors. Behaviors could be physiological behaviors. It could be emotional behaviors, thoughts, and it can be actions. Your thoughts and your actions, you have direct control over. Your emotions and your physiology, you only have indirect control over. And these two things can affect your subconscious thought. And your subconscious thought is going to cause you to be reactive. 
So if you can always focus on being more aware, the more you can be aware of your emotions and your physiology, then the more you can help steer yourself towards consciousness and the more you can help take that consciousness to respond rather than to react. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of consciousness is when people talk about consciousness, conscious of what? Like everyone says, oh, you know, like that's what I'm saying when people say subconscious, don't just act on subconscious because we've been hardwired through our environment through so many years of our lives about what is, you know, and then we operate, we have these subconscious operating systems. But if we want to be conscious, we have to be conscious towards something. So when people just say consciousness without taking into account their ideals, their preferences, you know, so like your philosophical ethics, their psychological preferences, without taking those into account to your ideals, we have to live consciously towards that. So, you know, you can always be aware and not subconscious, but that's kind of like saying you're really good at aiming a gun, but you never know what you're aiming it at. Mm. You're just aiming it at random targets. But in life, our goal is to get somewhere. And we talk about like introspection. I don't journal a lot. I never have. I'm a highly introspective person. So I think there are two types of people. There are people who are, don't just stand there, do something. And then there are people who are, don't just do something, stand there. Be still. Mm -hmm. And I'm a be still person. So when things don't feel right, I stop and think. And I think that those people don't necessarily need to journal as much. Some of them do if they need a little bit of direction. But in this day and age, a lot of people have so much external stimulus that they do need some external thing in front of them to help them guide their thoughts. And that's what the journal is about because so many people are functioning on this outside in kind of system that we're all locked in that it's like revolutionary almost to be inside out now. Mm. That's a whole topic. It's funny though that you're this line of direction here because I want to use what you just said as an excuse for why I don't journal that much because I consider myself a very introspective person, like someone who's in my head all the time. And as a writer and the kind of work that I do, I live a lot of my life in my own head, which I think can be good in a lot of ways, but it also can be problematic too. When you're, if you're either too externally focused or too internally focused, maybe to a certain extent. And there's maybe a part of me that feels like taking the time to, even if I am somebody who's always kind of working the gears inside to put it out into a journal because it almost makes it a little bit more real or a little bit more definable. I don't know. I feel like it could be beneficial for both sides, right? Definitely. I didn't want to say it wasn't beneficial. I just meant it was more beneficial. Like for me, it definitely materializes things. Once it's in front of you and you're looking at it, like introspecting is one thing, reflecting is another. Many of us can, a lot of people can introspect, but how many of people after investigating what's going on inside of them take the time to reflect on it. And by reflecting, I mean to integrate it into what you already know about yourself, to what you want to do, to where you want to go. How do you make it fit the big picture of your life? Mm -hmm. And that's what reflecting is. And and I think when things are written out in front of you, it can definitely help catalyze that kind of thought process. Yeah. I like also the concept you were talking about, sort of not just using the word consciousness as a buzzword, which a lot of people do now, but actually making it make sense for you and this sort of consciousness of having a goal or having something that you're reaching towards, not just being conscious or being fit for being whatever for no reason. But I think that one of the things you talk about in sort of like the summary here that I really liked was the idea that 
that end goal also isn't your life or it isn't who you are. It's this process of getting there that is really crucially important too and being present during that process. So I ask a lot of really ambitious, high-functioning people this because I feel like it's, a, it's an issue for a lot of people. Knowing the balance between having this goal and being super, super focused on it and doing whatever it takes to get to this goal without sort of forgoing every other aspect of your life in the process while you're working towards it and being okay with it going slowly or being okay with stopping at this step in the process and enjoying that moment before you get to the next. You know, there's, it's a conversation I have with Ben all the time on Muscle Intelligence Podcast is like, how do you keep that ambition and that focus while still kind of maintaining a balance and being okay with being on the journey, you know? So you talk about having this consciousness towards a goal, but Sisyphus is also talking about he's happy because he just knows that his job is pushing this boulder up the hill. You know, there isn't an end to it. He just keeps going. So how do you kind of like reconcile those two things? Well, Sisyphus, Albert Camus' myth of Sisyphus. For Albert Camus, I always say Camus, his idea is that like the world doesn't make sense. He has this absurd, this whole absurdism going on. And, you know, the world is irrational. So Sisyphus only has this there is no real like he's trying to get to the top of the mountain but what does that mean to him he would be one of the ones who haven't defined their goals he hasn't defined his ideals the type of person he wants to become he's just happy to be pushing something up so for them you know the the struggle alone is enough to fill a man's heart having something to do almost not even necessarily a purpose sisyphus is smiling is more you always have your this is your ideal this is who you are And you are always striving to get to this ideal. And even as you get closer, it's not even, I don't even think of it as the boulder rolls down. I think of it as, you know, you get a little bit better and maybe your ideals, you push your ideals a little bit farther so that you want to get a little bit better. And then you just keep going, right? And the struggle builds strength and the climb yields character is about, you know, every single time you force yourself to level up, obviously you're going to get better as a human being. You're going to get a little bit stronger. The climb yields character is about you're getting higher. You're gaining new perspectives with all this effort that you do to better understand your life and to act in in accordance with that understanding, to act with integrity is going to give you new perspectives and help you understand yourself and others and the world in general better. So that's what Sisyphus is smiling is. It's kind of imagining like, I don't care where the actual top is. I just want to keep leveling up. That's perpetual personal evolution. I'm just going to keep getting better. It's not, oh, my goal is to get this and it failed and I still want to get here. I mean, it all stemmed from the original thought stemmed from powerlifting, which is every time you get a total, you're not satisfied, Mm -hmm. right? You always want to get better. I could have squatted 850 benched 600 and squatted and deadlifted 850 all at 220, which would be like the best in the world ever by far. And I would still be like, I got to add 30 pounds each of my lifts in a year, you know? So it kind of stemmed originally from that. And then as I kept reading and studying my philosophies a lot, it just kind of like worked into that because everything's an integration. 
Yeah. So that, that's where it comes from. It seems like this is why I'm not cut out to be a really good athlete because I totally hear what you're saying. But I've also, I've always been one of those people who's like, once I hit like kind of a decent goal that I've set for myself, I'm just totally fine. And I leave it alone forever. <laughs> like when I was, when I was like in my CrossFit days, I was like, all right, when I can get like, when I can string together a couple good muscle ups, when I can deadlift twice my body weight, like I'm fine. And I kind of am. So I, I've talked about this a lot before. Like I appreciate being a well-rounded person, somebody who's like kind of knowledgeable about a lot of things instead of very knowledgeable about anything. I think it's important for there to be people like us, but I've also always felt like that mindset has kept me really from being great because I'm just not willing to put in the work, I guess, to be really good at anything. I'm just like, I'll be kind of good at this and then I'll move on to the next thing. But you know, it takes all kinds, right? We're okay with that, right? Mm-hmm. right. No? Okay. Uh-huh. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse. I get, you know, I got a couple muscle ups under my belt. I, okay. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> okay. So Paul, you wrote a blog post for the Metro Life website that I wanted to talk to you about. Cause I, I like this concept. You were talking about freedom to you means being mm-hmm. present. Yeah. And I want you to expand on that because as somebody, and I think that a lot of people can probably relate to this, that I have actually gone out of my way to not be present in a attempt to feel free. (laughs) You know what I mean? When you're going through some shit that you don't enjoy, that's something that's miserable that's happening. And you're like, just get me out of this. Some kind of escapism. Maybe I run away. Maybe I read a book. Maybe I go do something different, whatever. Just anything to be outside of the present moment that I'm in. But you're kind of taking the opposite approach to that. So can you talk to me about what that means to you? Yeah. So I will preface this by saying that my default is what you're saying. Yeah. I think most people's default is that though, no? Maybe. I I don't know. So like, I know for me, through my learning about myself during this process, it's definitely been a a matter of getting my thoughts, feelings, and actions to align with one another. And right now, they don't. So being present in every moment, you talk about wanting to strive for an ideal. You talk about wanting to constantly build progress towards something, to be better people. But if you're not able to stop within each moment and, and appreciate it and, and be within it, you don't get the benefits that you would when you get an achievement. It's like I completed a marathon, but I took the bus for half of it. So for me, my default is whenever I'm super stressed or unhappy, I default to extreme productivity. So I will literally work all day according to like some very fixed, rigid schedule Because if I'm working and I'm busy, I don't have to think about my problems. But the reality is, is that those problems and that friction within your life is where all of your personal growth is going to be. You need to take time to reflect. So for me, that's my journaling. That's my 30-minute walk at the Conroy Pit with my dog. That's the time that I've allotted for myself so that I can do... and, And I allot that time because I know that the rest of my day is quite regimented due to the expectations I've put onto my plate. You know, I have a full-time job. I have a project, this, this app with Jay, I have coaching. I do have a lot of obligations. So in order for me to allow myself to be present in the things that I enjoy, I am extra disciplined in the things that I must do right now. That's working. So it's, it's functioning for me. I'm finding myself in the times that I do step away and allocate for myself. I am able to calm down and relax, but it's a process, just like everything. I used to write a blog for another website, and I always just say that progress is a process, it never stops. For me, right now in my life, with the transition that I've taken, you know, change, moving across the country, changing up my lifestyle a lot, it's 
my goal right now is to find more moments within my life to be present within and taking this approach, being present within a moment, that's freedom. And having the freedom to do that is something a lot of people don't allocate for themselves. And they end up 15 years down the line looking at themselves in the mirror and going like, who are you? And I actually find myself in one of those moments right now. That blog post was me letting people know that this is my process that I'm going through. Maybe you can learn something from it. Maybe you don't feel that it's appropriate. And not all people are wired the same way as me. When Jay and I have conversations, I can tell when his wheels are turning because he'll get quiet. And then I'm like, okay, I need to let him process. And then I know he's going to come back with something. Whereas for me, it's a bit of a weakness where I get information and I immediately have to act on it. So it's learning to just be present within this moment, evaluate, take your time, and then move forward with an appropriate path rather than just distracting yourself with work constantly. I think that it's a very valuable thing to consider and to sort of hammer home to people that it's okay to want to improve and still sort of be happy with who you are in the moment and respect and love yourself, even while recognizing that there are improvements that can be made and things that you can be doing to better yourself. But I think that that's a hard, that's a point of friction for a lot of people. And I speak from the perspective of a lot of women in the wellness world. And I've done some coaching and I, so I'm speaking just from my experience, but I'd really like for you guys to touch on this too, because I think maybe we don't open up into the male psyche enough as far as this stuff goes. But I feel like a lot of people are trying to improve their life, whether that's how they look or what they can do in the gym from a place of insecurity and fear and not feeling like you're good enough, right? And that's, again, a very universal feeling. Probably everybody feels that at some point. Ideally, we don't feel it a lot, but we do, right? And I think that there is a complete perspective change and change in the way you go about life when you look at improving yourself from the idea of this is fun. This is a journey. I'm making myself better. I'm going to take these things and make the people in my life happier and better as a result. This is a fun adventure rather than I have to do this or else I'm not good enough and I suck and I'm fat and I'm ugly and I'm weak and all of these things, right? So how can we, for people who aren't born with self-esteem or maybe didn't get that kind of support or love or baseline of, of confidence, you know, and they're just trying to catch up, how do we instill that in people? How do we tell people that it's okay to want to improve and get better and keep going up that hill, but to not hate yourself in the process and not think that until you get there, you're not good enough? How do we do that? And is that something that you guys have had to kind of overcome or work on yourself? I definitely deal with that. So like me personally, like I grew up as a fat kid in high school, like Jake and JC, my kid childhood pictures, like I was a big boy. Uh, Paul's father said verbatim, when Paul was a boy, he put a strain on the economy of the family. <laughs> big eater, about, big eater, right? Big eater, yeah. yeah. Strain so, on the economy of the family. <laughs> so my default is negative self-talk. And it was, I need to train and get big and strong so that I have this exterior armor to cover up this internal weakness. And that's shifted over time, but the, you know, it's always going to be there. You just learn to deal with it. But more recently, it's, it's a... We need to reshape the thought process of if I really do love myself, I'm going to want to improve it. I'm going to want to live the best life I can because I love myself. So, you know, the, the body positivity movement, and not to call attention to something that's completely ridiculous, but anyway, it shouldn't be, I'm healthy at this weight. It should be, I'm happy and I want my body to function as best that it can for the longest it can. And in order to do that, it's probably not the healthiest 
to be obese. Can you be healthy and obese? Acutely, yes, but we know that long-term, being obese does have negative health repercussions. So it's, I don't have to hate myself, but I should want to live the best life that I can. And if that involves some hard work and a little bit of restriction in order to do that, well, I'm improving myself because I love myself. That's the approach that I've taken you know, with any, any of my more recent quote-unquote transformations. You know, I just lost 15 pounds, but it wasn't because I hate the way I look right now. It's because, no, I, you know, I want to be a little, I want to be able to move a little bit better. You know, I want to look better than Jay. <laughs> so it, it's, it, it didn't come from that negative place where previously it did. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jay? What do you think about that? For me, it's a little bit different. I don't think you get to love yourself without reason. I don't think love in general, whether you're loving anyone in your family, a friend, or yourself, it's not unconditional. Love is not unconditional. You must earn love. And if you don't love yourself, you have to ask yourself why. Because that is one of the most important questions. Well, it is the most important question you will ever face is if you don't love yourself, why don't you love yourself? What do you have to do? And I think it all starts with self-honesty and self-acceptance. We have to accept who we are. A lot of people talk about like, you know, fixed mindset, growth mindset. And the fixed mindset is obviously, you know, a very detrimental mindset to have. But the growth mindset is the number one thing that allows that is acceptance. It all starts with acceptance and accepting who you are and then understanding that you are trying to get somewhere better is the most important thing. And every time you do a little action, a little step towards your ideal, which is simply integrity and action, it's just doing what you think you ought to do to be a better version of yourself. Every time you take a little step, that's a pat on the back. You're going to love yourself. Every step you take is building love for yourself. That's what self-esteem is to me. To me, self-esteem is the gap between your ideals and who you know you are right? And then the boulder is kind of like the reflection of who you are. You're just trying to keep pushing that up. The extreme is like over here. These are people with extreme insecurities. These are narcissists, you know, people with these big gaps who anger if you threaten the reflection or their ideals. But if you really want to just build your own self-esteem and your self-love, the way you show yourself that you are worthy of loving is acting in accordance with the type of person you say you want to be. And that's kind of something that's always been, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm fortunate. I have a grandmother who is very, very hardcore in personal development. Like when I was little, she'd take me to like Mind of the Millionaire. She gave me Tony Robbins books. I've been reading Tony Robbins since I was like 15. So stuff like that is kind of worked into my brain. I'm very fortunate for that. That's really all it comes down to, to me is, is self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. is you have to have the power, the strength to say, you know what? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. You can swear. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know what? I fucked up. I'm a shitty person right now. I am a piece of shit, but I can't do it. I can't change it. All I can do is learn right now and I'm going to learn something. And how do I get better? How do I make sure that this doesn't happen again? How do I not make this decision again? How do I make people trust me or have faith in me? How do, how do I demonstrate that I'm changing? Whatever, whatever you need to do to show yourself, you just have to do it. And then you just have to keep getting closer. And then it's just that constant Sisyphus is smiling cycle of 
trying to improve yourself. And that's it. People, I feel like someone reading Sisyphus is smiling might think that a person like me who's preaching perpetual personal evolution thinks that he's perfect. But it's like, no friggin' way. It's just, I'm striving, I'm trying. And that's all that matters to anyone. Because obviously no one's ever going to be perfect, especially if your ideals, what they're striving for, keeps they keep pushing their own boundaries. So sorry, I went a long time, but it all No, I like to- that. That's, I think, actually a really interesting way of looking at it that I never kind of considered is the idea that you sort of, you should earn love and you should earn love from yourself first. You know, if you feel worthless. And look, there are a lot of external factors that can affect people's self-esteem and sense of self-worth. And like, we can't ignore that completely. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's up to you to decide how you feel about yourself and and how you want to move about the world. So if you got a shitty lot in life, what else can you do but try to, you know, improve it internally with yourself first. There's really nothing else. And I, I think one of the things that I kind of kept thinking about when I was reading this book, and I'm sure you guys can speak to this if it's something that you resonate with as well, but there, there is sort of some kind of feelings of like stoic philosophy in this too, right? Like this concept that there are things in life that you can't control. There are things in life that you absolutely can control. And then there's like a couple of like things sort of nebulous in the middle that you have some control over and, and not, and how to prioritize things based on that knowledge, right? Because I think so many of us spend so much time worrying about what other people think or how I'm going to stack up next to this person or how it's going to look in the outside world or all of these things that we literally cannot control. We can't control how other people react to us. We can't control how other people perform next to us. All we can do is control what we do, the decisions we make and the way that we feel and move about the world. So is that something that you guys, I mean, I know it's very hot these days to like be into Seneca and Marcus Aurelius and stuff, but is that stuff that you kind of resonate with too? No, I'm going to let you answer it because it's going to be good. (laughs) A lot of stoicism resonates with me. Everything in my brain, every, every thought process I have bases from philosophy. And to me, stoicism is to philosophy, like go in the ocean, hold your breath and see how deep you can go. Okay. Holding your breath. That's stoicism to me. Philosophy is having a submarine and being able to deep dive and introspect and investigate in all the different ways, or it's like being a a huge sperm whale who can go super deep, right? That's philosophy. That's introspecting. It's many layers upon layers of thoughts and integration of ideas. Stoicism, I love the idea of enduring and perseverance, you know, the controllable versus the uncontrollable, but I absolutely hate how it has become so popular and people call it philosophy when it says Marcus Aurelius, don't argue over what is good, just be good. Because that's too general, you think? Or like, well, how do you be good if you don't know what it means to be good? I just talked about defining your own ideals and striving for it. Mm-hmm. Well, Stoicism saying just do your ideals, just focus. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we define what is good? There's a there's so many things we need to do to define what is good to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, are you a utilitarianist or an individual? Because then all of a sudden it's completely different. So in that regard, I love stoicism in the sense that it gets a lot of people thinking, a lot of thought-provoking things. Like doing this daily stoic is awesome for people because it gets them expanding on a thought that they wouldn't have necessarily thought about otherwise. Mm -hmm. But as far as 
building philosophy goes and getting deeper and building the layers. Like I just talked about behaviors and all the different types of behaviors, your ideals, how they come from psychology and philosophy. And I've talked about self-love. All these things are connected in a system. But in Stoicism, they're not even trying to address any of this as a whole. It's just, well, be good, man. Be good. So is it almost like a philosophy? I mean, Stoicism is a, if you like this term or not, like sort of an arm of philosophy. It's a type of philosophy. It's one approach to it, right? Where maybe something we could be striving for is trying to create our own philosophy based on sort of reading and understanding and introspection because any philosophy, any religion, any real like way of sort of being in the world is going to be specific and is going to be a little bit of a tunnel excluding other ways of thinking. So maybe it's more helpful to kind of take all of these different bits and pieces and this reading and this understanding and kind of try to create your own philosophy. But with, you kind of have to have some sort of framework to begin with, right? Like people have to do a lot of reading and a lot of work to even understand what philosophy means. I mean, like you said, this is sort of like a gateway for people, right? Like stoicism is like an easy, understandable gateway to figuring out even how to think about life, right? Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a foot in the door. And I mean, as far as like philosophy goes, like even just the definition of what philosophy is, philosophers would argue about. Yeah. Right? Like that's a whole thing. So it's kind of funny. No one can even define philosophy. But to me, it's just the clarification, the identification and clarification of ideas and the integration of those ideas with your current understanding. Yeah. So that is every bit of knowledge that you take in, it either fits this closed system without contradictions in any way, which is just logic, empirical evidence, and logical reasoning, it either fits the system or it doesn't, right? So it's just like your, your knowledge base is just this pyramid that just keeps getting bigger as you add stuff to it. Mm-hmm. And that to me is what philosophy is about and why it's so important. Because everything, like you, a person should be able to learn from anything, like literally anything. When they say a wise man can learn from a stupid question, like I had this awesome, Paul, you might like this actually. Mm-hmm. I had this awesome like psychology epiphany with my son. He's two years old and he's, well, he's like 27 months old. And five months ago, he was taking these huge temper tantrums. He was angry. He's just getting super angry because he doesn't know how to express himself. So he's flipping out. And you try holding a kid who's almost 40 pounds and doesn't want to be held. He's falling all over the place. He's hitting my face. Like, it's awful. And then around when he turned two, he just stopped. And he starts depressing. So all of a sudden, the kid's just, when he doesn't get something he wants, he just depresses. And I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. Like, Because I'm noticing now for a long time, he hasn't taken a temper tantrum in a long time. He depresses. He gets sad. So when we're looking at this, It's like, wow, babies, newborns, when they're born, they get very angry. They take these crying fits when they need something. And people come rushing in and then, oh, maybe maybe he's hungry. Maybe I need to change his diaper. Maybe I need to hold him. And we just start guessing. And then hopefully most of the time, the baby's needs get met and the baby stops crying. As a baby gets older and he's getting to two, the pictures in his head of what he might want are kind of getting bigger, but he doesn't know how to express himself right? So he gets more frustrated. And then he realizes that angering doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's inefficient. And it often makes the situation worse. Oh, my parents seem stressed out and I'm not getting what I want. Subconsciously, they start searching for these different types of avenues to kind of get what they want. And then they depress. So 
they start to depress. And what does depressing do? Well, one, it controls your anger, which stops you from getting, making the situation worse. And it also gives you a little bit of time to think about how to express yourself better while at the same time acting as a stronger cue or a stronger like ask for help, right? So most people, most people, us, we have a subconscious tendency to depress when things are met. Some of us, you know, will anger and jump to angering right away and it makes the situation very worse. Arguing with people like that is very, very counterproductive, but a lot of people tend to depress. And when we look at people who are depressing, so I just said, you know, talk about getting the solution fulfilled, gives them time to think and it's to ask for help. So some people might have aspects in their lives that they're very unhappy about. They subconsciously depress, but they never resolve the issue and they get stuck in this loop of depressing because maybe the help they got wasn't what they wanted to hear. Maybe the solution that they've come up with, they're scared to try it and fail because failing will feel even worse than just continuing to depress. Or maybe acting on it is acting to solve the situation is going to cause pain in another area of life. But what I'm getting at is it is a subconscious action to depress. And I'm not saying depression like DSM, you know, definition of depression. I'm just saying we depress subconsciously and we learned it as a child. And it is an action that if we don't break the cycle, we can easily continue to stay in. And that's why like some people, when you say get help, right? It's like, well, get the help. You're in this loop and people don't recognize that loop. But having looked at my son, I like saw it clearly. It was like an epiphany. I'm like, this is so cool. Like that's where it starts. So now when I think of people that I know who are constantly depressing and kind of that Debbie Downer, it's like, these people need to learn this movement pattern that we learn very young because once it's in us, it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger in our habit, in our behavior scripts. Just a brief interruption, guys, to tell you about today's show sponsor. Don't fast forward, okay? Listen, it's important. Today's show sponsor is a company making my favorite CBD products on the planet, And as someone who has tried a lot of these products and uses CBD almost daily for relaxation, to combat inflammation, muscle soreness, all of that, I think that's saying a lot. These products have truly been one of the most game-changing supplements that I have ever used. Santa Cruz Medicinals makes CBD products sourced in Colorado. And they are third-party lab-tested. It says right on their website that you can email them directly for results on any of their products. Ask them any questions. They're going to be transparent with you. Their tinctures are all housed in MCT or coconut oil because we know that things like these are more bioavailable in the presence of a fat source. They have tons of products. They have some sort of more no-nonsense stuff like CBD in straight MCT oil, which has zero of that kind of grassy weed spit flavor that you get from a lot of tinctures. They also have a whole range of flavored ones that you can use in your baking, your coffee, put directly in your mouth like I do. They've got cherry vanilla, chocolate chip, guava, peppermint. It's pretty awesome. They also have a lot of skincare products. They've got this pain lotion 
for sore muscles that I actually included as part of a healthy subscription box project that I did last year. And I couldn't believe the feedback I got about this stuff. People with chronic pain, high-level athletes, so many people came back to me saying that they noticed a marked difference in how they felt after using it and how quickly their muscle pain subsided. It's really impressive for a topical product. So I love this company. They're transparent. They're the real deal. They're always innovating and coming out with new products. And I'm happy to use their stuff and support them like they have always supported me. So if you have any questions about Santa Cruz Medicinals, reach out to them on Instagram at Santa Cruz Medicinals. You can talk to me on Instagram at The Muscle Maven. Happy to answer any questions. And you can head to their website, of course. It's scmedicinals.com. Shop all of their amazing products and do some further research for yourself. And of course, use the code MUSCLEMAVEN for a 15% discount. This actually brings up a really interesting question, though, about behavior change and habit breaking and habit forming, because you talked about, you know, kids will throw tantrums and they'll get what they want, maybe because their parents are like, I don't want to see and let's just give you whatever you want. We do that as adults, too. We have these kind of negative behaviors that still feed us something, right? Or we wouldn't do it. So whether we're on Instagram constantly and like getting those dopamine hits from those likes, or maybe we're eating in a way that's not healthy, but it makes us look a certain way that makes us feel good. And like all of these things that are habits that we might consciously say, yeah, I know, like I I can't do this. Like I can't keep living off a thousand calories a day, or I can't keep just like being on Instagram 10 hours a day for attention and all of these things. But there's still doing something for us, right? So it's like this weird balance where we know this behavior probably isn't optimal or ideal for our mental health or our health, and it's not great moving forward, and we kind of know we need to change it, but it's giving us this instant gratification that makes it really, really hard to stop, right? So how, how do we fix that? But really, I mean, I think some of this goes back to the mindfulness and the daily sort of taking note of how we feel and being really real with ourselves and like, is this really serving me and how much is it and whatever. But how do we overcome some of these sort of negative behaviors that are really, as you kind of mentioned, quite childlike that we still have carried through into adulthood because it still works. Maybe being an aggressive asshole and being rude to everybody has worked for somebody forever because it makes people do what they want. You know what I mean? Like I could, I could go on in lots of different examples, but how do we fix habits that have, even if they're shitty, have served us? I think you hit a big point. They're serving us, right? So it's filling a need that maybe subconsciously like we didn't know that we had. If you've ever read the book Lost Connections by Johan Hari, he speaks about the different connections that we have to either social or behavioral or environmental cues or environmental stimuli that we otherwise normally would have. So we search for filling that need within other areas and and that leads to depression, it leads to drug addiction and things like that. So these negative behaviors serve us because they fill a need. So the question then needs to be, what need is this filling? So if it's, I'm constantly on Instagram checking for likes, that's an external validation. It could be an indication of low self-esteem. It could be an indication that maybe you're not getting the validation from your partner that you would like to get. There is some underlying need that isn't being filled. So you find a coping strategy that works. That person who gets super angry maybe they're getting super angry because they can't accept blame for something they did wrong. 
So they externalize that anger or that angst onto somebody else. It always starts with awareness. So why have I deemed these to be unhealthy or negative behaviors, quote unquote? Then it's, all right, what is my ideal? Who do I want to be? A great book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. He speaks about you form. Yeah, it's an amazing book. He talks about your behaviors should mimic the person you want to be. So it shouldn't be, I want to get good at running. I'm going to do this. It's, I'm going to do this because that's what a runner would do. And I am a runner. So then your, if your ideal is X, and then you know that you have to do A through Y, something like that. No, A through whatever. No alphabet today. You have to, Letter get, before you have to get from all of the alphabet to X. <laughs> that's a lot of positive steps that you can take. That's a lot of pats on the back. It's a lot of positive reinforcement. And it's through those little steps and reduced friction through each one where you're able to strive for that ideal and get closer through your behaviors. So behavior change always starts with awareness. And then it becomes a recognition of what you need to do or who you need to be. And then you can start to work back. All right, let's actually talk about the app because I've been having you guys talk about feelings for a long time, which I'm really impressed by. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about the app because it's, it's much more involved and comprehensive than most kind of tracking apps or even journaling apps or anything that I've ever seen. So I'd love for you guys to kind of just talk about how you developed it and why, kind of your elevator pitch, like why this is different than other trackers that people may have used in the past. Go ahead, Paul. I talked a lot today. I actually really enjoyed it. MetriLife is, you know, our tagline is that it's an intelligent approach to living healthier, living happier, and living stronger. And the reason why it's an intelligent approach is because it's you're the one in the driver's seat. So you're the one who's introspecting and saying, how am I feeling about these metrics? How am I feeling about my sleep? How am I rating my mood? How am I rating my appetite? based on your subjective scale. Then it's providing a grouping of tools, both active and passive, like it's giving you feedback, to form associations between where you are right now and where you want to be. Mm -hmm. You're getting reminders and recommendations that are providing you cues to guide your introspection. So we notice that your wellness and your appetite are low. This is how these two things interact. Perhaps you should look here to see how it's affecting your life. None of what we do is holding your hand. This isn't a whoop band that tells you how prepared you are, regardless of how you actually feel about your day. This isn't an aura ring that tells you you slept great, even though you woke up tired. This is a reality check, a look in the mirror to see where are you today. And then it's a helping hand to guide you along a journey that you're creating for yourself. I love that because one of the challenges that I've had with different trackers in the past has always been just what you said, where people tend to rely too heavily on the data and then stop paying attention to what they're thinking. And it seems like you've kind of cut straight through that by creating this place to put data, but it's only what you're thinking. It's not what an app is telling you about how you feel. Right. Yeah. yeah like so much stuff, like I touched base earlier, we live in like an outside in culture. Everything, there's so much external stimulus coming at us at all times, like especially now phones and the technology is just so amazing that we're in this outside in. So we always look for the external for our answers. You want to, yeah. you want to answer to something, go to 
Wikipedia. You want your heart rate, grab your Fitbit, your Apple Watch. You want your HR, well, not really your HRV, but go to your Whoop or your Aura Ring. You want your self-esteem, go to Instagram, as we said earlier, right? Like it's always like this external thing going on. We're, we're inundated through technology. We're inundated with so many external connections that we lose this connection with the inside we don't look inside and that's almost where the revolutionary act is that's almost the new way and like you're saying we're talking about what are we thinking like you just said no one focuses on that and just the mere act of answering some of these questions gets you to think about it and that's the awareness yeah right and then we help you recognize it and that's it That's it. We're helping you recognize it. We're helping guide you. But when we look at like these other things, and I don't want to like pick on whoop too much or anything, but if it's an external stimulus, then the recommendations that it's given are only in the context of what it's collecting and what it's capable of. So it drives me crazy when I see people post their whoop recommendation to get like 12 hours of sleep. I'm like, are you kidding me? Go to bed at 10 and wake up at 10. Okay, I guess this person doesn't have a job or kids or a life. Anything to do, you know, yeah. like it just doesn't make sense to me that this takes context, takes information and in its own perspective is going to tell you how to live your life when the perspective should be coming inside out. Right? Yeah. Instead of this one thing right here looking at you. Well, it doesn't get this angle, this angle, this angle, this angle. It's not getting a full snapshot of my life. Yeah. Like even with a whoop band Man, we're going to get sued by them if I make fun of them too They're much. not a sponsor. It's fine. I mean, but, but even with like, whoop, like, so one, it's not even taking your heart rate variability. It's yeah. taking your pulse rate. But how is it taking your HRV? What, when is it taking it? It's taking it when you're sleeping and when you're in deep sleep. So sure, it's fairly accurate. But what's the algorithm for figuring out when you're in deep sleep? And maybe something can change that. I just saw an article, I think Simon Hybrid posted it yesterday, Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, He posted something and it was talking about how these, all of these wrist and arm based trackers at best at determining how much energy output you have during exercise at best, they're 27.4% wrong at determining. And at worst, it was like 94%. Yeah. Which like on my Fitbit, like you wouldn't believe how many 40 minute workouts where I've burned like 800 calories. I'm like, whoa, champ, I can go eat a pizza. Yeah, that must but be pretty fat though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so but all this to say is you've actually answered like one hardball question that I was going to ask you. Not really hardball, but one of the things that I was going to talk to you guys about with regards to your app is this concept, because I'm, I'm always skeptical of these things, whoop, or ring, everything, because I do think that people tend to, again, rely too heavily on what this external data is telling them rather than what they're thinking. And if you guys ever read that book, um, Unplugged, Brian McKenzie and Andy Galpin, it's all about the concept of using these things as tools, but not to replace your own feelings and ability to kind of check in with your body. And so my question was going to be, I'm somebody who uses tracking devices or or technology for specific means to an end, or if I'm training for something specifically, or if I'm trying to just get this one kind of snapshot of information, I don't tend to be somebody who can kind of just keep it up indefinitely because I just prefer to really be aware of my body and its signals and what it's telling me, right? But I think that, and so I was going to ask you like, all right, well, is this something that people should use in perpetuity? Like, is it something that when should we know when we should be tracking things strictly or when can we ease back? And, but I think that what's genius is you guys have kind of cut that whole part of it out because this technology is not 
telling you what to do. It's you telling yourself. It's you checking in with yourself and putting in this information so that you can, in a more kind of comprehensive way, actually give yourself feedback, which is really, I think, pretty unique. I treat it like I treat accounting my macros. Like there are periods of the year where I don't track. I eat more intuitively. And like right now I'm tracking very strictly. But with MetriLife, it is, if you wanted to use it in perpetuity, which I did for about I think nine or 10 months, like consistently every single day. It was every day I'm checking in. It's a check-in with myself. How am I doing? Over time, you get into a good groove and maybe you take a couple of days off or take a couple of weeks off and then you go back and see where you're at. It is one of those tools that I will be using as long as we have it on the market because I just see the value. I use it with my clients and I use it with like all of their daily, like weekly and daily check-ins. Then it helps as me as a coach, it helps me personalize my approach with each one of them because it gives me that 22 hours outside the weight room. To me, that's where ministry life comes in because these external things, like say you had a competition today and your HRV was super bad. You still have to compete. You still have to show up. You still have to do your best. What is that one rating telling you? really nothing. And it's also a lagging in influence or it's a lagging metric. So by the time your HRV is bad, previously to that, you were either overtrained or overstrained or under recovered, whatever you want to call it. What if I know exactly where I'm at every single day? And then on days when I don't feel great, I can look back and know exactly where the, that's coming from because I can see the relationships. I can overlay it in a graph and see, okay, there's a 75% relationship between how stressed I perceived my workplace and how intense I perceived my workout that should have been easy. Now I know that I need to manage my workplace stressors or on days when I'm very stressed, I need to adjust my training. Jay spoke about this on a previous podcast was like, we always look at how we can adjust the training to accommodate the lifestyle. If we're training for competition, that training is getting done. Mm -hmm. So how do I accommodate the lifestyle to let me train the way I need to? That's where we come in. We're like, we can shift in either direction. Has there been anything surprising or interesting that you have learned about human behavior or wellness and people's approach to wellness through developing this app and getting feedback from people? Like, has there been anything, either people just giving you feedback or anything you've kind of just learned through the process that has been surprising to you? You have one on the top of your head. I know you do. Oh, I was going to bring up the person who pissed me off. But I don't I'd love to, to hear that. No, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to. <laughs> be <laughs> diplomatic, please. <laughs> okay. With my, I'll be, yeah, I'll be diplomatic. There was a person who complained. They input their score and they got a low score. And they gave us a, a negative review. And the negative review was something along the lines of, I don't need to be told I'm having a crappy... Can, what was it, Paul? Yeah. It was something along the lines of like, if I'm told I'm having a crappy day, it's going to shape the way I look at my day anyway and make it even worse. Yeah. And, and like that kind of goes to the like outside in, inside out. But it's like that person to me is a lot of what's wrong. I don't want to say what's wrong, but it is what causes people to get in these depressive loops that I'm talking about. Because the entire purpose of the app is you are inputting the metrics. It's going from inside out and it's helping you reflect and see like the awareness, the recognition. That right there, it is the tool to help you gain self-acceptance so that you can see where you are on the map and knowing where you want to go, you can look at all of the metrics that cause you to have this low score and then you can be proactive. 
and you can try and change your life. But instead, this person choose to say, well, I know I answered all of these things and it gave me a low score and now I'm going to look at this low score and use it as an excuse to make my day worse. And I was like, that's, that's so backwards. Like, Sounds like they I have get, some work to do, some personal work to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's just like, no, like you're the exact person who needs to use the app. Mm-hmm. You just need to use, change your attitude. And I don't know, I can't change your attitude, but somewhere along the lines, you're going to have to take some agency for your own life. I'm trying to be nice. We did this on a podcast and Paul brought it up and I had forgotten about it. And I was not friendly to this person because it is to me a very disgusting way to live. It's a very sad way to live for me. Well, yeah, I mean, it does, it does kind of seem like this person was just like sort of hoping to be fed a bunch of fluff or good news to motivate them. I mean, and some people need different types of motivation at different times in their lives. Maybe somebody just needs a pat on the back and not real information. I don't know. Maybe that's where they were. But I agree with what you're saying, though, that like that, that person is exactly the person who needs to kind of get a little bit more real with themselves and pay attention to the information that they're getting in the app is the information that they put in and is being reflected back to them. So if they don't like it, then they can they can work on it to make a change. It isn't like a, a prescription, right? Yeah, they, they tried to like shroud it in this nocebo effect. They tried to outscience me. There are some things in my life I'm very confident about. The likelihood of you outsciencing me is probably quite low. So he's like, oh, it creates a nocebo effect. And I was like, well, by your logic, any type of tracking device could create right. a nocebo effect. Yeah. Because if you had a low HRV, even though you feel great, you might be like, oh, my HRV is low. I'm going to train like crap. So it's always there. But it brings up this whole overarching theme that I, for me, what I've seen that's most surprising is how resistant to friction people are. And like just a simple act of picking up your phone, you do it fat, like hundreds of times a day. Mm-hmm. When I use Metro, like I use Metro Life throughout the day. So I use it about three times a day. I'll do my journals in the morning. I'll input my activities around lunch. And then before I go to bed, before I shut off my phone, I'll do my activities and I'll put in my metrics for the day. In none of those do I take more than three minutes. And I'm inputting nine different metric packs, all of the journals to go along with them. So nine total minutes throughout the day spread evenly. If you look at your phone, you spend four hours on Instagram, dude. And you can't allocate four minutes of that time to making yourself a better person, yeah, that's the problem. Some people just aren't ready. Yeah, and I gotta ask you, you guys run in some pretty masculine meathead circles, right? You've got sort of some powerlifting and some CrossFit and like all kind of peripherally people who are following you guys. We just spent a lot of time talking about feelings and introspection and self-love and things that perhaps a decade ago, none of us would have been comfortable talking about in like a public forum. I don't know. I'm not speaking for you. I'm just saying that I think that there's probably a little bit of self-evolution and wisdom and maturity that comes with being able to kind of look at our lives a little bit more um, holistically and talking about the mental health aspect rather than just like get some and eat properly and like get strong, right? You've got to have like a pretty good following of like younger men and women who maybe tried out this app and are like, why do I have to write so much about like how I'm feeling today? Like this is fucking weird. Like I'm, I just want to put in my macros and, and my reps and talk about how I felt about my workout today. Like do you, are you not getting any kind of feedback from people who are just like, this isn't what I expected? And maybe they're, they're enjoying it or maybe they're not. Like, is that something that, that's coming back to you from some of the more kind of meathead community or no? Mm. No? 
That's yeah. impressive. That's great. I mean, I'm just, maybe I'm just like putting out some negativity into the world for no reason. But no, no, no. The majority of the people who grab the app or who download the app are pretty aware before they get into the app that this isn't Something a training app. Even yeah. though it originally evolved from that, it was originally, we were originally going to call it Regulate and it was an auto-regulation app for training, for auto-regulating your training. Yeah. And then we just kind of kept adding ideas to it. And I'm like, wow, like there's a lot more to this than what we, we originally had in mind. So Sorry. I was just going to say like those people who do follow us know that, you know, it goes a little bit deeper than, than just training. Like if you look at my Instagram, yeah, it's, it's a lot of me lifting weights and a lot of puppies. But if you follow any of the stuff that I've written, there's a lot more going on there. And that's something that I've only recently started to share. And I'll be honest, as you mentioned, I wouldn't have shared a lot of what I've been going through three, four years ago, but I think it really needs to be, it needs to be told and not from a, Hey, look at me. My life is hard because let's be honest. I'm still like, even through this, I'm still employed. I'm still running a business. And like my life is not that hard, but we all have hardships. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a blog recently. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And I think the more open we are about talking, and being like, hey, I might have big muscles, I might be really strong, but you know, there's some times that I don't feel great. And if I'm comfortable to say that, then you should be too. But I'm also comfortable enough to say, I'm taking all of these steps to get me from, I'm acknowledging that I'm not feeling well. And then I'm taking all of these steps to move forward and get out of that spot. Mm -hmm. So let's all be open about it. And then let's work with each other and fuel from each other to say, Hey, I'm working hard too. I'm moving out of this spot too. I'm not, I'm not comfortable staying here because I'm better than that. And I love myself and I'm going to move that forward. And yeah, if, if you follow us and you know where we're coming from with this, you're picking up this app knowing that it's not just swipe right, swipe left, good, bad, agree, disagree. Yeah. Okay. Do you have a sense of the demographics of like who's downloading it? Like, do you have any idea of general age range, men and women? Are they international? Do you have any kind of sense of that? I'm just curious. The age range is the exact same as our Instagram age range. It's like 19 to 35-ish, but we actually have more women than men. I mean, that doesn't really surprise me. Because we're two guys. Yeah, but it doesn't surprise me in terms of, we just, women tend to be a little bit quicker to get to that sort of let's explore how we feel and write it down kind of thing than men are, I think generally. Yeah, true. And maybe more encouraged to do that too. But I think that, you know, people like you and just this industry in general is starting to change a little bit and be a little bit more open to the reality that men also have emotions. I think that's an important thing to talk about. Paul, talk about your, uh, I'm just, I just want to switch up again, your Get Shredded program right now. What are you, what are you eating? Like, what are you doing? Are you doing typical sort of like no fat, high protein sort of situation? What's going on? Honestly, okay. So this started... I have been perpetually injured for the last like five years. Two years ago, I injured myself and I dieted down. I did it very much like a bodybuilder. Like I had a meal plan, very low calorie, lots of cardio. I couldn't really train for strength because I tore my quad. I got really shredded, but I was weak as a kitten and I'm very exhausted. This time, I competed twice last year, made some progress. I'm healthy. I was like, yeah, I want to get lean again. And like selfishly, it's like, oh, I'm single. I want to look good. So I mean, (laughs) why not? So I reached out to a friend of mine, Simon Chang. And I was like, hey, I just need someone to tell me what macros to eat because I make good food choices anyway. I just need you to kind of moderate my intake. And 
my tendency whenever I died is to go way too quickly, just drop my macros to the basement and get it done. With him, like I started my diet around like 3,500 calories, which is my maintenance. I'm down to about 2,850 right now. The only cardio I do is I get between 10 and 12,000 steps a day. And on my two non-weight training days, I do like some sort of 30-minute wad on top of that. That's purely because I enjoy doing that. I've lost 15 pounds, so I'm sitting around... It's funny. I'm sitting at 220, which Jay and I have a rule. <laughs> you're just a big woman. You can't but, go under 220, you mean? Like if you're under 220? Yeah. So my goal okay. is to, yeah, my goal is to get under, like I'll probably end up around like 215-ish. Okay. I think based on how things are right now. But I'm basically just going to diet until my training starts to suffer. But I have literally had no bad training sessions since. Like, like I'm still getting stronger, still hitting all my numbers. And I think it's because I've taken such a gradual approach. In terms of my macros, I eat a little bit higher protein right now. So I'm 220 pounds. I eat around 265 grams of protein. Carbs are around 300 and fats are closer to like 60. So much more of a carbohydrate heavy diet. I have a, a bit of a digestive thing. So I can't eat more than 75 grams of fat regardless. Mm. So I just have to do that. But I'm sure I would just be just as effective if I was eating more fat and less carbs. Your under 220, just a large woman thing reminds me of a Ron Swanson quote from Parks and Rec Race. I think he's yeah. been like, any dog under 40 pounds is a cat and cats are useless. So I feel like I've actually used that line to describe like men under 200 pounds, but I don't want to alienate anyone here, but I do like that. <laughs> we, also, we also have a rule that as a male, you should be able to put your spouse's best squat over your head. Best squat over your Okay. That's legit. Yep. Yeah. That's like, good. My ex-wife could squat 265 pounds, so I had to be able to put 265 pounds over my head. My criteria is even lower, but I'm coming from, I think you guys don't always understand that like the average woman, because I come from a kind of like masculine testosterone fueled environment too, where I deal with a lot of very kind of traditional manly men, you know, my husband and sort of the world that I walk in. And I have girlfriends who like prefer to have a boyfriend that like they can actually share clothes with. And so my criteria has always been like, if the dude can fit into my jeans, like this is not going to work for me. But listen, it takes all kinds. Everyone is great and whatever. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> imagine, imagine getting ready to go out to see a movie and you're like, babe, have you seen my, uh, my jeans? Yep, I'm wearing them. Yeah, if I can, if I can like put on your hoodie and it looks like, doesn't look like I'm wearing a kid's, you know, I'm like a kid playing dress up, like this is a problem for me. Like, of course, I'm not like a super large human being, but okay. So I just want to, I don't want to keep you guys forever. I really appreciated this conversation. It could go on probably for a lot longer, but are the dogs coming? Oh, we got to switch. Okay, there we go. Pork chop? That's pork chop, right? This is pork chop. Yeah. Hi, pork chop. You're the cutest baby. Is he happy? It's a he? He's a he, yeah. He's doing well at home? It's only been a couple days, right? Yeah, he's settling in. It, uh, it's been interesting. Bit, bit standoffish. So we had a French bull, or I had a French bulldog. He passed away a week after I moved home. And then our other bulldog was like super distraught. And so I brought pork chop home eight weeks after that, or six weeks after that. And they're a bit standoffish and Beefcake didn't really know what to do with them. But now they're playing and it's fun. Yeah, you have some real grade A dog names too. Because Beefcake, I mean, that's 
my own nickname for myself, but it's also a very good dog name. So I yeah, for that. sure. Okay. So just before we kind of wrap things up, we're still, I don't know when this is going to go live, but we're still sort of dealing with this quarantine COVID situation. We don't need to go down a rabbit hole talking about that. It's kind of been done to death, but you guys both seem based on your social media, you both seem like you have pretty decent workout, like exercise setups, like gyms and you've got squat racks and stuff like that. Have you been adjusting your training significantly, not being able to be in a gym? How do you feel about your training and your strength and your fitness and how you feel about all that during this time? It sounds weird, but I love it. I love training by myself. I love not having any distractions. I'm having 40 minute to 60 minute workouts where I'm actually, because like when I would train in my gym, people would ask me questions. People would want to talk, you know, a CrossFitter might have an injury they want to go over, powerlifter might want to go over some programming or spot a set, watch a set. And then now I can do everything on a clock. I can do this, like I'm, I'm doing all these different EMOBs. It's kind of CrossFit style, but not CrossFit. The workouts are just much more efficient. I'm getting a lot more done. I'm holding more glycogen. I feel great. I'm actually kind of planning on keeping a home gym going. I'm pretty much able to do everything I would normally do. But like Jay, I do enjoy training by myself. The only challenge for me is I do have a bit of an extroverted tendency. So I do like some social in my life. And working from home, I don't get that from work. So I do miss the social aspect of the gym to a certain extent. But my training economy is way up. Way less rest between sets more compound movements because you don't have a full set of dumbbells, stuff like that. And it's, I definitely notice just a more like, like a more conscious approach to my training because I don't have that distraction. I'm in the workout. As soon as I start the training session, I'm in it. And it's really, really been great. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way as you, Paul. Like I work from home. I work kind of for myself. I can go weeks without interacting with people if I want to. And I actually do do that pretty frequently. But And I'm definitely an introvert, but I, I like to be around humanity. I like to sort of have like humanity like wash over me. I just don't want to have to interact with them. Like that's why I actually love big cities. Like when I'm not here, I'm in New York because I just love being around the energy of people without actually having to maybe talk to anybody. So that's why I do like the gym because I don't get talked to that much. So I can kind of just like ignore people, but like feel the energy of having people around me. So I do actually miss that. But like you said, I think I have a an okay kind of gym setup and I don't need a ton of heavyweights, but I really have been doing shorter, more concentrated, but more focused movements. So I feel like I'm getting more out of less these days, which is kind of nice. We were talking Jay offline about what some of these like globo gyms and what the future of gyms is going to be. And I think that's still sort of yet to be seen, but I guess it's good that we're developing some coping mechanisms in case gyms never really go back to exactly the way we used to have them, right? It's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. So MetroLife, you were giving that away for free for a bit, right? During quarantine is what's going on there? We still are. We still are. Jay put together this amazing resource that was essentially like the core functionality of MetroLife, but on a worksheet. And it came with an article called Behaviors to Monitor and Practice. It was very detailed and, and it was really well received. And from there, we were like, you know what? We need to do something more. So originally, MetroLife was a subscription-based service only. So we said, we feel like this tool is, is something that every person needs during this time. Everyone is struggling with money right now. We can do this. We can invest the money and the capital to make it free, and we can help more people. That's been true to our mission statement. Like when, when Jay and I started this company, it was, how do we provide a tool that can help people? Well, COVID provided a unique, unique opportunity to, to really test us in that and say, 
we're going to really do what we can to help people. And so it's going to be free. The core functionality of the app is going to be free. Still have the option to upgrade to the premium service, which has a few more features. But yeah, that's been also really well received. So it's pretty cool to see so many people jump on it. And and the the positive feedback has been great. There's more reviews in the app store. There's more visits to the website, more blog views, and more people are seeing what we're doing. and, And hopefully it catches on. Is there anything else that you guys are working on in terms of, you said sort of there's some kind of premium aspects that you can unlock and there's, you know, stuff that's sort of growing as you go. Is there anything else that's sort of coming that you can tell us about or anything that you're working on or is it kind of just business as usual, getting the the word out there about the app? We could tell you, but we would have to. Okay. All right. Well, you can tell me offline. (laughs) <laughs> but you are, work, you are working on things. Yeah, we're there, working on okay, things. Okay. Yeah, there, okay. there are always things in the queue to keep improving it and moving it forward. That's never something that like it's perpetual evolution on yeah. the app. Right now, our, ma- our main goal is just to keep getting it in more and more people's hands. And then we kind of see, like, let's say we have 10 different things in the queue that we want to do. We got to kind of let our users help us dictate which ones we should go through. Because maybe Paul and I want to do this but we figure out our users want to do this one here. So we got to kind of listen to our users and see what they're hoping for. Absolutely. Jay, Paul, pork chop, beefcake. Thank you. <laughs> very, those are both your nicknames too. No, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. This has been super useful and enlightening for me and it's going to make me get back onto it. Cause you know, when you first sent me Metro life, I was all over it and then, and now I got to get back into it and start paying attention to my life again. So I know it's, I'm terrible, right? I, no, it's never too late. It's never too late for me and anyone else. So no, I, I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. It's an immense amount of effort that goes into these things. So you're doing really important work for people and I appreciate it. All right, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please pay it forward by leaving me an iTunes review so that I can climb my way to the top of the rankings and enjoy Joe Rogan levels of success. Or more realistically, just me, but slightly better levels of success. I'd be happy with that too. Please share this episode and the MetroLife app with someone who could benefit because really the greatest joy I get from this podcast, the reason why I do it, is having people tell me that they learned something that improved their life. That's literally what this is about. So if you can help me do that, I would be very grateful. And speaking of life improvement, thanks again to Bubs Naturals, one of my favorite companies, period, for sponsoring the show and just being a huge supporter of me and my gains. Use the code MUSCLEMAVEN. Go to bubsnaturals.com. You'll get a solid 20% off of their extremely high-quality collagen and MCT powder. And if you have any questions at all about the products, don't hesitate to reach out to me, and I'll do my best to answer. And as a reminder, you can reach out to me on Instagram, at The Muscle Maven. You can sign up for my newsletter, my weekly newsletter. I won't send you any more than that, at ashleyvanhouten.com. Or you can send me a direct email at ashleyvanhouten at gmail.com. And let's chat. I'm down. All right. Thanks, guys. Check in next Tuesday for the next episode of Muscle Maven Radio.